I've invited one of my great friends, Pastor J.R. Lee, to come and speak to you and bring the Word of God. Pastor J.R., he leads an incredible church in Georgia called Freedom Church. He planted it from nothing and it's grown into a large church reaching a lot of people. They have a lot of diversity in their church and I love that about them. Pastor J.R. and his wife Devin, they're kindred spirits to me and we think very similar in how we lead and how we think about reaching people. And so I know that as he brings this word to you today, it's gonna to be a blessing to you and I believe that it's what God wants to speak into your heart. So let's be ready to receive the word of God today and let's put our hands together and welcome Pastor J.R. Lee to the stage. Come on. Generation Church. Y'all doing good today? You're doing good? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. The mic must not have been on. How are we doing today? That's good. I love it. Man, it's an honor to be able to be here with you and to hang out a little bit. It's um, always good to be able to step out of uh, kind of what it is that God was doing in Atlanta, Georgia, where I'm from, and to be able to come here uh, to Mesa and Ahwatukee. I've been practicing saying that now for a while, and uh, I nailed it, y'all. Ahwatukee, that's what I'm talking about. But nonetheless, uh, it's good to be able to hang out with you. I'm glad to be here. Uh, you have an amazing church. You need to know this because sometimes, sometimes uh, it's good for an outside voice to be able to step in and say, uh, man, what you have here is special. What God is doing here is not common. Uh, what God's doing here is, um, is allowing you to be part of a move of God. And that's something that we should never take for granted because I believe what we fail to celebrate will eventually leave our life. And as a result, I think we should go ahead and put our hands together and celebrate what it is that God's doing here at both locations. And uh, for those of you that are watching online as well, it's a real honor for me to be with you. Pastor Ryan and Amy, they are fantastic leaders. They are, um, they are head over heels in love with this church and what it is that God is doing here. And uh, I believe that God is raising them up for a very specific purpose and reason. And I believe that you get to be the beneficiary of what it is that God's doing in them. And I think that um, the oil, so to speak, flows from the top and what God's doing in their life and what God's doing in the life of the staff and what God's doing just in the life of the church at large uh, is something that you need to just realize how amazing it is. This, if, I lived in, if I lived within 50 miles of this place, this is, this is where I would go to church. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, it's amazing being able to just sit down here on the front row and uh, I feel like I feel like I've never been here before, but I, I feel as if I'm at home already. And, um, and so we're going to dive right in. Can we do that? We're going to dive in. Here's let me tell you some ground rules. First of all, uh, I am a kind of person that I can I can talk really fast. I can get you to lunch quick. But let me tell you how it's going to happen best. I will talk faster and I will preach better uh, if you will talk back to me. If you don't care if I preach better, like you're just here to check something off a list, that's cool. I will also do it faster if you talk back to me, which means I can get you, uh, I can get you to the restaurant ahead of some of the other churches that are in town. Uh, but we're going to have a little bit of fun. I hope that it's okay with you that we're going to have fun because we're going to, even if it's not okay with you, we're still going to do it and uh, it's going to be good. How many of you have ever been to a high school reunion? Raise your hand if you've ever been to a high school reunion. All right. Uh, those of you that did not raise your hand, I know what you were thinking and you were looking around and you said, these are all the old people in the room. I remember when I thought this, I was, um, I don't remember how old I was, but I vividly remember my mom and dad getting dressed and getting ready to get on an airplane to go to their 20th high school 
reunion. And I remember looking at my sister, who's a little bit younger than me, and I said, we better get ready because our parents are old. Uh, I remember saying that. And now um, I am one year removed. Last year was our 20th high school reunion. And it is surreal. I mean, it is a surreal experience because I'm thinking back like my parents weren't old then. You know, they just got accused of being old because I'm not old. I am not old, except um, sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not. But uh, nonetheless, I got this email telling us that we're getting ready to have our 20th high school reunion. And I don't know if you know this about the Internet. You probably do because you've noticed it. Anytime you search for something on the internet, all of a sudden you start getting all kind of targeted ads uh, based on what it is that you searched for. And so I was looking, trying to figure out where this reunion was. And so I was typing in the reunion, all that stuff. And then five seconds later, I see this ad pop up and it was for a reunion company. There is a company for reunions. And I don't remember what it was called, so we're going to call it Reunion Rentals, because that makes sense. And what it was, was a, it was kind of a goofy, I don't, I don't mean to sound mean, but it was kind of a goofy looking guy, and he was standing there with a big old cheesy grin on his face, and he had his hand on a Jaguar, not, not a cat, like the car, the Jaguar. And the caption above it said, are you more sophisticated than your car would portray? Reunion Rentals. And I was like, this is funny. And I did, like, I committed the cardinal sin of internet ads, and I clicked on it. And so when I clicked on it, it brought me to the Reunion Rentals website. It's not called Reunion Rentals. I can't remember what it was. But it brought me to the Reunion Rentals website, and there was more of these people standing next to these really nice cars. And I noticed that their goal was not just to be a rental car company. It was to be a rental car company where they make the car look like it's your car. So no one will know that it's a rental car so that when you drive up for your reunion, people think you're more awesome than what you really are. They think that you have a better car than you really do. I mean, you can drive around in a little Hyundai, but not today, baby. You can have a Jaguar. So then I got lost because I was just laughing at this thing. And and I realized not only can you rent cars at reunion rentals, you're not ready for this. You can rent friends. People. You can rent people. And I don't, I don't mean in like the weird way that probably popped into your head first. I mean, you rent people to go to the reunion with you so that if you, maybe you were married and then got divorced and you don't want to go single, you can go with the person of your choosing. I mean, I don't know if there's a lineup or something and you just pick one. I don't know how this all works, but when you pick the person, you fill out a questionnaire, they fill out a questionnaire. That way, if somebody asks you how you met, you both have the same answer. I mean, reunion rentals, baby, they have it covered. You got a car and you got a date. I mean, this is, this is substantial stuff, all because, you know, at your reunion, you want to make sure that people think that you are, that you are awesome. And I was telling a friend of mine about this, and I was just making fun of the whole scenario and he looked at have you ever had a friend that you're trying to tell them something funny and they try to make it spiritual on you I don't like friends like that but that's what he did and uh, he goes yeah but I bet you do that I'm like bro I have never rented a person not even one time in my entire life he said he said no but how many times have you taken a selfie and then you had to use like 13 filters or you had to retake the picture 12 times and I just looked at him and I said shut up 
because this was the day after something happened. This is what happened. I was uh, in my office at the, at the church, and when I was there, I have like, a lot of seating areas in, in the office. There's, you know, any number of places you can sit. Uh, but a lot of times when nobody's there um, in my office, I'll shut the doors and I'll put a pillow in the floor and I'll lay on my stomach across that pillow and I'll work while laying down. Sometimes I eat this way. I eat laying down on my side. And before you make fun of me, that's how our Lord Jesus ate. And I'm just trying to be like Jesus in everything I do. But nonetheless, I was taking a picture of the, of the you know, my little workspace for the day and I took it and I looked at it and I'm like, that's good, but the lighting could have been better. So I deleted it, and then I looked at it again. I took another picture, and when I took it, I'm like, the lighting was good, but the angle was off. And then I deleted it, then I took another picture, and this time up in the corner, there was like a little piece of something, and it just didn't, it, you know, it just made the picture not look as stellar as it could have looked, so I deleted it. I took another picture, and then um, before it was all said and done, I, keep in mind, I'm taking a picture of the floor, y'all. It took me 27 times to get this picture correct. And then once I did, I had to put the right filter on there because I want to make sure if I'm posting this thing on the Instagrams, I want to make sure that my floor looks better than your floor. You, you know what I'm talking about. And so as a result, that's what I did. And he was saying, he said, yeah, but if you do that, then you're the same way as reunion rentals. And I'm like, shut up, man. What are you talking about? And I started thinking about it. The more, the more I thought about it, the, the more time went on. I started realizing that, you know, sometimes for me, for you, regardless of what it is, we try to, we try to overplay our strengths. We try to downplay our weaknesses. Sometimes when you're scrolling through social media, you look at it. Have you ever looked at social media? Y'all are from generations, so y'all are probably too spiritual for this stupidity. But sometimes I'll scroll through and I'm like, how is their house always so clean? How is their vacation always so awesome? How is their picture always so perfect? I don't know if you've ever done this before. And you haven't because y'all love Jesus more than me. But as I'm scrolling through there, I'm just like, how in the world is this even a thing? Because I feel like... I know myself so well, I'm constantly thinking about my behind the scenes and my blooper video, and I'm comparing it to your highlight reel. You know what I'm talking about? That's how I feel. Maybe, maybe for you, you're like, you know what? Finally, a pastor's talking about something that I don't struggle with. I have, I have never played with Instagram. I have never one time have I been on Snapchat. I have never used a filter on a picture. Matter of fact, I don't even know what he's talking about. Talking about a filter on a picture. I've never done that. Maybe. But I bet if that's you, there's been some times where you found your identity in your job or you found your identity in how much money you make or you found your identity in the kind of house you live in or the kind of car that you drive, whatever the case may be. Maybe you're a student and you find your identity in the kind of grades that you get. I've been a pastor a long time and what's funny is a lot of times parents will be upset with their kids for their grades, but they really don't care so much about their grades as much as they're a little bit annoyed that when they go and talk to their friends and their friends are bragging about their kids' grades, they don't have anything to brag about, and so they feel inferior. Isn't it crazy how we are? How we live like our whole life trying to impress people we don't even like that much. This is, this is what we do. This is, this is life. And I, I'll hear people say sometimes, they'll say, ah, well, you just got to go back to the good old days. People were jacked up in the good old days too. They just didn't have social media where they could post how jacked up they were. 
They were just as messed up back then. Stop blaming this on the times. Your parents were nutso also. I mean, this is from the Bible. All the way back in Bible times, like when the Bible was being written, because we're still in Bible times, but when the Bible was being written, this was still the case. I mean, one of Jesus' followers, uh, and when I say followers, because if you're a person who has put their trust in Jesus, you're one of Jesus' followers, but this is one of the followers of Jesus that was actually walking around like, with Jesus in bodily form. Like, hey, Jesus, what's going on? I mean, that's, that's pretty awesome. And he, he writes a few things in this particular book of the Bible. And this is what he says. I'm just going to read a few of them. John chapter 13, verse 23. Check this out. One of his disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. John 19, verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. It keeps going, but let's go to the next one. John chapter 20, verse 2. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. John chapter 21, verse 7. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, if you read this, you could think whoever wrote that in the book of John is awesome because he is writing such nice things about one of his friends, one of the other followers of Jesus. This is not a trick question. This comes from the book of John. Do you know who wrote the book of John? John. John wrote the book of John. So when he talks about the disciple whom Jesus loved, he was talking about himself. Imagine, I mean, it would be as if the Lord says to me, JR, you get to write a book in the Bible, get to work. Sweet. I will write a book of the Bible. That'd be awesome. And it would be as if I wrote, the disciple who was the most amazing of all the other disciples was hanging out with Jesus. The disciple who Jesus liked the most. The disciple, you, you know, you fill in the blank. That's what John did. Matter of fact, John was, John was an interesting guy. He wrote five books of the Bible. Here's their names. John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and then the last one's called Revelation. He wanted to name it 4th John, and Jesus wouldn't let him. <laughs> so I started asking myself the question, why did John write this about himself, the one that Jesus loved? And I thought, well, maybe, maybe old John, maybe he was... Maybe he was an arrogant guy. I mean, because if you know anything about John, like if you've ever read a little bit further, he talks about whenever Jesus had risen from the dead, him and Peter were going to the tomb. And you know what he wrote? He wrote about how he beat Peter in a relay race. He said, the one who got to the tomb first. Y'all, Jesus had been risen from the dead and he's more concerned with that, the fact that he run the race. That's John. So is he arrogant? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, maybe a little bit because everybody's a little bit arrogant. You might think, well, I'm not arrogant at all. I'm actually insecure. Insecurity is just arrogance in reverse. That's all it, all it is. It's the other side of the coin. Because when you're insecure, you're trying to keep people from knowing the real you, which is a form of arrogance. So maybe, maybe he was arrogant, but I don't, maybe he was, but I don't think that's the reason that he wrote what he wrote. Maybe he was overcompensating for something. I thought, well, that's 
I mean, that's possible. It's possible that he was overcompensating for something because we all overcompensate for something at one time or another. Maybe, maybe that's what he was doing, and maybe it is, but I don't, I don't think that's the reason that John wrote the fact that he was the one that Jesus loved. I don't think that's the reason that he did it. I think the reason that he did it, and I'm going to try to make a case for this being the reason. I think the reason that John wrote that he was the disciple that Jesus loved was because to John, the most important thing about John was the fact that he was loved by Jesus. I think to John, in his mind, it was more important to him that he was loved by Jesus. It was more important to him than even mentioning his own name. Because he never one time said, and John, the one that Jesus loved. If it would have been me and I was writing it because I was arrogant, I would have said, and J.R., the one that Jesus loved. And J.R., the one that wrote five books of the Bible because I am awesome and Jesus loves me the mostestestestest. I want you to, I would want you to know. But John doesn't do that. John just says, the disciple that Jesus loved. I think John knew somehow, some way, he had wrapped his mind around the fact that the most important thing about him was the fact that he was loved by Jesus. For John, John didn't see himself. This is hard, y'all. He didn't see himself according to what he did right. He didn't even see himself according to what he did wrong. And let me tell you why that's crazy for me to even imagine. Because sometimes I'll have a good day. Did you know? Did you know even me? I can have a good day every once in a while. Have you ever put your head on the pillow and been like, I actually, did, I was a good dad today. I was a good husband today. I kind of did a good job. I mean, I wasn't perfect, but I did a good job today. And you put your head on the pillow. And, it, and in my mind, in the back of my mind, I think, I bet Jesus. I bet he is proud of me. I bet he kind of thinks I'm awesome. But most of the time. It's not that I put my head on the pillow thinking I had a good day. Most of the time it is, I am such an idiot. I cannot believe I messed up again. I'm from Atlanta. I'm actually from Ackworth, but you've never heard of Ackworth. So I tell you I'm from Atlanta. When you hear about Atlanta, one word comes to your mind, and it's the word traffic. If you ever, if you ever fly to Atlanta and you ask somebody that is from Atlanta, how long does it take to get from here to a certain place? These are the three words that they will say to you first, depending on traffic, and then they will fill in the blank. And let me tell you about traffic. I love Jesus. But when somebody slow gets in front of me in the fast lane, I can go from praying and singing a worship song at the top of my lungs to becoming Satan's brother in 1.2 milliseconds. In less than five milliseconds, I can think of how to kill you, dispose of the body, and make sure that I'd get away with this and I'm never caught. And that's while I'm on my way to church. Sometimes I have crazy thoughts that come into my mind. Have you ever thought something so bad you surprised even yourself? You're like, whoa, where did that one come from? And a lot of times whenever that happens to me, I start thinking, I bet Jesus is disappointed. I had a bad day on Monday. Now I got to have a good day on Tuesday and Wednesday to kind of get back to where I should have been. 
It's one step backwards and one step forward, two steps back, one step forward. I feel like that's how my Christian life was defined for a lot of years. I knew Jesus loved me because he was, but I felt as if he was contractually obligated to love me. I just figured he loved me. He didn't like me very much. Almost like, you know, you have the varsity team and the JV team. I felt like I was a JV follower of Jesus. Sitting on the bench, never getting in the game, because I always would have a propensity to let Jesus down. I couldn't be good enough. I, 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 couldn't, do, I couldn't do anything enough. And if I did it, I couldn't do it long enough for it to really count. I mean, if you're a good husband for an hour, I mean, come on, there's 23 more hours in the day. I felt as if the time I was the best husband were the hours that we were asleep. And you're such a good parent when your kids are at school. You know what I'm talking about? Say, say yes, sir. I'm telling you, that's the, that's the way that it is. It's like, if I could just be good enough, if I could just do this thing right, then Jesus would love me. But for some reason, John, John didn't feel the same way. John wasn't tied up and trapped thinking that God's love for him was based on what he could do for God. But for years of my life, I felt as if it was more about what I could do for Jesus than it was about what Jesus had already done for me. You know what I came to realize? I came to realize one time that all the work that I was trying to do for him, he had already done. When he said it is finished, he wasn't joking. When he said it is finished, what that means is I've already done everything that you need to do. Because see, a lot of people, they try to make Christianity a behavior modification project. Like if you become a Christian, then you'll do this and you won't do that and you'll do this and you won't do that and you'll adopt a certain set of beliefs and you'll adopt a certain set of behaviors. That's called religion. And that's not why Jesus came to earth. Jesus didn't come to earth so that bad people would become good people. Jesus came to earth so that dead people could become living people. That's, that's why Jesus came. And what John shows us, he says, I know what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. And I want you to see what it's like to know that you're loved by God. Because here's what I've realized. I've realized that now in my life, even though I still struggle with it, I don't struggle with it as much as I used to, there's nothing I could do to make God love me more, and there's nothing I could ever do to cause God to love me any less. God loves me as much on my good days as he does on my bad days. God loves me all the time. He loves me in the good. He loves me in the bad. He loves me in the middle. I am, listen, I am loved by God. I am, I am, listen, I don't know about y'all, but I am loved by Jesus. I want you to know it, that it's true because that's what John's showing us. He's saying, I want everybody to know if you are a follower of Jesus, so are you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are loved by Jesus. Listen, even on your worst day, even in the middle of your worst argument, sometimes I will argue, I like to win when I argue, and sometimes halfway through the argument, I will realize that I'm wrong, but because I want to win, I will not admit it. And Jesus still loves me when I do that. 
Everybody else might not, but Jesus does. And the reason it's so hard for us to wrap our minds around it is because that's not how life works. Everything in life seems to be so contractual. And as long as you do this and you do this and you do this, then you will be loved by somebody else. But God's love is not contractual, it's covenantal, which means once he gives it, he doesn't take it back. He loves you all the time. You are loved by God. I want you, I want you to look to somebody next to you and with a swagger to what it is that you're saying, I want you to say it like you mean it, the, as cocky and as arrogant sounding as you know how. I want you to look at somebody next to you and say, I am the one that Jesus loves. Tell somebody that right now. Do it. Look to somebody in the face and say, I am the one that Jesus loves. See, here's why we're doing this. We're doing it because the cure for insecurity is to know your true identity. When you know who you really are, you don't have to be insecure anymore. Did you know when I come to a church like this one, a great church where you hear a great pastor preach a great message every single week, I'm sitting on the airplane in this tiny little, little tiny thing that they call a seat. It is not, but that is what they call it. And I'm sitting there. I am six foot four, way too big to be sitting in a seat this small. And I'm saying to myself, what do I need to preach? What do I need to do? Because here's the thought that comes through my mind. Ready? You would think my first thought would be, I want to preach a God honoring message that will change the lives of people. But sometimes the first thought that comes to my mind when I walk onto this stage or any other is I want to preach a good message and I want the people to like me. Don't say, ooh, you do the same thing. <laughs> Somebody said, ooh, that's bad. It is kind of bad, but you do it too. But you know what I realize? Here's what I realize. I realize I could preach the best message you've ever heard. And I'm loved by Jesus. I could preach the worst message you've ever heard to where you're like, when Pastor Ryan gets back, I'm telling him he better not ever bring anybody from the state of Georgia again because them people from Georgia, they can't preach nothing. He is the worst preacher I ever heard. Did you know when I walk off this stage, I am still loved by Jesus. It don't matter if it was good. It don't matter if it was bad. It don't matter if you like it or if you think it's terrible. It don't matter. I might not be loved by you, but I'm loved by Jesus. It don't matter what your parents said to you, you are loved by Jesus. It don't matter what your boss said to you, you are loved by Jesus. It don't matter what your teacher said to you, you are loved by Jesus. You are loved. You're loved. You are loved by God. And nothing will change your life more than when you actually begin to believe it. See, it does not change you to just hear it. You're not changed by the truth you hear. You're changed by the truth you apply. And if you can apply this into your life every single day, it'll change everything about you. It'll change how you parent. It'll change, it'll change how you relate to people. Matter of fact, I want you, let's do this. Pull out your phone. I want you to pull out your phone. I don't want to see no flip phones. I want to see a real... A real phone. Pull out your phone. And those of you that are young and your parents threatened your life, if you pulled out your phone, I'm going to override parental authority just for a minute. I want you to pull your phone out. I want you to take a picture, a selfie. You know what a selfie is? Take a picture of yourself. Do it. Take a picture. Put, do it right now. Do it right now. I want to see flashes going off. I want to see pictures being taken. Smile, say cheese. You could take a ussy if you want. Put two people in the picture. Do whatever you got to do. Take it. Here's what I want you to do. 
if you're fast, only if you're fast, you can do this right now. If you're slow technologically, you can do this a little bit later. But if you're fast, I want you to take that picture and I want you to post it on Instagram, on Snapchat, on Facebook, on Twitter. And here's what I want you to do. Underneath of it, I want you to, if it was me, I would post my picture and I would say, my name is JR, the one that Jesus loves. That's what I want you to post. I want you to put, don't put my name because that'd be hilarious. Post your name. My name is blank, the one who Jesus loves, and then put hashtag. If you don't know what a hashtag is, years ago, they used to call it the pound sign. You put hashtag generation church, no spaces in between any of that. Say, why would you do that? The reason I want you to do it is because I want it to remind you of who you are. Those of you that have the Time Hop app, I want you to see it every single year for the rest of your life. I want your friends to see it. I want people that don't even go to church to be able to see it. I want them to be able to say, you know what? If that's true for them, I wonder if that's true for me. And maybe that will lead to a question that begins a conversation that brings them to a place like generation where they can walk in on their way to hell and walk out on their way to heaven because of what Jesus can do in their life. All about posting a picture saying, my name is Chris, the one that Jesus loves. Some of you, you know what you need to do it because you need to see it every day. My wife in my house, if you were to go to my house right now in my, on the mirror in my closet, it says the one who Jesus loves. Every single day, whenever I get dressed, I have to see it. Every single day because I'm colorblind, so I got to go stand in front of a mirror and try to make sure I match and ask her and tell her and say, hey, do I look ridiculous or do I look presentable? And I see this up there on the side, even if I don't match my clothes because I got up too early and I walk out and I look like a fool. It's all right. I am the one that Jesus loves. I see it every day, every day of my life. Maybe that's what some of you need to do. You need to put that on your mirror at home. Because I'm telling you, this is not just some silly little phrase. This is the phrase that marked John's life. To him, that was more important even than his own name. I am the disciple that Jesus loves. I was watching the, um, I was watching a little bit of the NFL combine a little couple months ago or a month ago, however long it was. And when I was watching him, it's unbelievable. Those of you that have seen it, these guys walk out and they know everything about them. These are, these are 21, 22-year-old individuals, and they, know, they go back years on their social media accounts. They interview their teachers. They talk to all their coaches. They know how fast they run. They know how high they jump. They know their wingspan. They know how many reps of bench press they can do. They know everything you could possibly know about the individual because they need a good scouting report to decide if they're going to get drafted. And while I was watching it, I was, I was just sitting there. I was kind of in awe of how strong some of these people were. This doesn't happen to me every single day, but while I was watching the NFL combine, I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying to me, he was saying, I know your scouting report. And I still chose you. I know your scouting report and I still love you. The one who knows me the best loves me the most. I am loved by Jesus. That's why even on my worst day, I can walk around with my head held high because nobody can take that from me. Nobody, nobody can say anything that's going to cause me to lose it. 
I can't do anything that's going to forfeit it. I am the one that Jesus loves. And it's not because I'm not the one that Jesus loves because I bring so much to the table. I don't bring anything to the table. God is the one who brought everything to the table and he's the one who asked me to eat. He said, I'm doing all this stuff for you. Matter of fact, in one of the, one of the um, five books of the Bible that, that John wrote, this one's 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 says this, Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. Watch this. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Did you see what he said? It's not that we loved God, it's that God loved us. That's why God sent his only son, Jesus, to this earth. God sent Jesus to live a perfect, sinless life for 33 years to accomplish righteousness on our behalf. He accomplished in that moment in time, those 33 years, he accomplished for us what was needed for us to not only be declared morally neutral, but so that we could actually have the righteousness of God given to us so that we have the right to enter into the place called heaven. When he died on the cross after those 33 years, he gave us the ability to be forgiven because he took our place on the cross. Jesus paid the penalty that we should have paid. But Jesus did it for us. Then they put him in the ground for three days. It was the longest three days in human history. Satan was celebrating because he thought that he had won. The disciples were terrified because they thought that Jesus was gone forever. But then three days later, Jesus did something that had never been done. And he conquered death, hell, and the grave. And he came crashing out of the tomb, making it possible for you and I to experience a brand new life. The question is this, why? Why did he do it? Because he loves you. Because you're loved by God. Is it because you deserved it? No. Salvation is a gift, not a reward. If you think you earned it, you do not have it. You don't get God's love because of anything you've done. People say, they'll say, well, I just need to... I need to grow in my love for God. I want to love God more. I'm like, all right, how are you going to do it? How are you going to love God more? I'm going to go to church more. I'm going to give more. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to pray more. More, 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 more. You know, that's not how it works. You want to know the secret to knowing how to love God more? The secret to loving God more is to dive deeper into how much it is that God loves you. When you realize how much it is that God loves you, you will have no choice but to love God more. You won't even try to do it. You'll just do it. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. says the fruit of the Spirit. Have you ever... Walk through an orange thing where oranges, orange trees are growing. What's it called? A grove or something? You walk through there. Is that what it's called? A grove? Yeah, an orange grove. 
Have you ever walked through one of those? When you do, you don't hear those trees making noise. The fruit's just being produced. You don't walk through the orange grove and hear the trees going. But yet that's how most of you. And that's how I lived my Christian life for years. Trying to strain out and produce what God said would come naturally if I just realized his love for me. Fruit happens when you know how much you're loved by God. By accident, love will increase. By accident, joy will increase. Hope will increase. Faithfulness will increase. Patience will increase. And before long, you'll look back and you'll be like, you know what? I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. Look at what God has done for me. So I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you say, sir, ma'am, you're the one that Jesus loves. You. Look to the person next to you and say, I'm the one. Now look to the person you didn't choose the first time and say, I'm the one. I'm the one that Jesus loves. I'm telling you, man, if you begin to understand that, you will stop being imprisoned to who you wish you were, what you think you ought to be. You'll stop comparing your behind the scenes to everybody else's highlight reel. You will walk around, finally, your head up, because you are loved by God. So right now, all across this room, I need you to know this. I'm going to do an invitation in two ways. And maybe you're in this room today, and you don't know for certain that you have a relationship with God. You don't know for certain that your sin has been forgiven. You don't know for certain that, that Jesus has changed your life from the inside out. Can I promise you this? Even though you don't know and you didn't know when you walked into this room, I'm going to show you how you can know before you walk out of this room. Jesus loved you enough to get you here today so that you could hear the story of the one who loves you that much. And so with your heads bowed and eyes closed all over this room, if you're ready to put your trust and faith in Jesus, you know, you're like, man, I don't have that relationship. Maybe I had religion, but I don't have that relationship with God through the person of Jesus. And that's what I need. If that's you right where you are, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Just pray it in your heart. As I prayed out loud, it's not a magical formula. It's not a magical prayer by any means. But if you desire to put your trust in Jesus today, this is a template of how you can make that happen. Just pray in your heart. Say, Lord, I know that I need Jesus. I know you died on the cross for my sin. And I know you rose from the dead. God, the best way I know how, I'm turning from the sin of my past and I'm giving you everything I have in the future. I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life from this day forward. With your head still bowed and eyes still closed, nobody looking around, would you do me a favor if you just prayed to receive Jesus? I'm not gonna call you out. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna do anything like that. But if you're in this room, I would love to see where you are just so that I can pray for you. If you're here today and you prayed to receive Jesus with nobody looking around, when I say three, would you raise your hand high just for a moment, just so that I can see you and pray for you? One, two, three. If you just said yes to Jesus, throw your hand. I see hands literally, literally all over the room. That's amazing. Put your hands down. Let's celebrate that even right now. 
Now, I want everybody to look at me real quick. How many of you would say, you know what? I already know that I'm a follower of Jesus, but if I'm honest, there's times where I need to be reminded that I'm the one that Jesus loves because I have a propensity to forget. If you're with me on that, would you raise your hand? Let me pray for you. Dear Lord, we love you. We're grateful for you. And I pray right now all over this room that you would help us to see that we are the ones that Jesus loves. The alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, you chose us. God, you make no mistakes. And here we are being able to celebrate the fact that we are loved by you. God, I pray that that love from you will produce love for you. And as a result, this community would never be the same. God, I pray that our families would never be the same. I pray that this church would never be the same. God, I pray that we would never be the same, that we would stop struggling with insecurity and that we would stop struggling with self-doubt and we would realize that we are loved by God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for doing in us what we could not do for ourselves. We give you all the honor and all the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.